for the last message in our series. I unfortunately forgot to hit record uh, before the sermon. So what you're about to hear is is not a live message preached before a congregation, but it's actually going to be me looking through and summarizing uh, the main points from that message. I apologize if it's a little bit more dry, but I hope just to make clear the points that were uh, given in that message. We've talked recently about Abraham as the father of many nations, but then Jesus is the one through whom every nation is blessed. Moses as a great prophet, but Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses. Today we're going to look at the great king of Israel, David, and see how Jesus is the king greater than David. Now, as we get into this lesson, it's important to understand a, a key term, and that term is Messiah. Uh, the, the English word we use for ma- Messiah is kind of transliterated from a Hebrew term, uh, Mashiach, uh, which means anointed one. In the New Testament, the, this Hebrew word, Mashiach, from which we get Messiah, uh, is called Christos, uh, which, as you might guess, we get the word Christ from. Uh, so the, this uh, verbal adjective, Mashiach, refers to an act of consecration whereby an individual is set apart to serve God and anointed with oil. So th- this term, uh, Messiah, or Christos, refers to somebody set apart part by God, for God, and His purposes. Uh, This term is used a lot of times in reference to people, uh, particularly to kings and priests. And as the Bible goes on, this term uh, kind of becomes a, a unique title in reference to David. The reason why comes uh, from Second Samuel 12, uh, sorry, Second Samuel 7, verses 12 through 17. This comes right after uh, David has had uh, great success in securing the land for the people, and uh, he kind of goes to Nathan the prophet and says, "Hey." I think it's bad that I'm living in this nice house made of cedar fir, yet the Ark of the Covenant is still in a tent. Uh, Is it okay if I build a house for... um, the tabernacle of the Lord. Uh, the, Nathan says, "Yeah, go ahead and do that. Your your desire—that's a good desire to have." Uh, until uh, the next night, when the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Nathan, that's where we pick up in Second Samuel, chapter seven, beginning verse twelve. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word to any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went. 
and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, whom you shall, whom shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. We have uh, a uh, unique look in this passage at uh, some of the promises given to David. And and one thing to understand about these promises is a a term called uh, prophetic telescoping. When you have a telescope, uh, the old-timey telescope you might see in old uh, movies about uh, Treasure Island or things like that, that a a pirate or a ship's captain pulls out, they they take out the telescope and it's compacted, and then they pull it out, and, and what was formerly close together now is at great distance. In these promises given to David in 2 Samuel 7, some of them are partially fulfilled in David's son Solomon. And as a result of that, you have some portions of this that uh, refer to Solomon, some that refer to Christ, and others that, as you look at further on down the road, uh, you see may refer to actually both of them. As we take a look at this, one of the things we see is that, uh, you know, there's one part in particular that probably doesn't refer to Christ. It says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. That likely refers to Solomon's problem with idolatry, where because of his many wives, he begins to fail to worship the Lord God. But in this uh, passage, we also see, uh, we also have Solomon who builds a house for God. But even after Solomon dies, we see in Israel, there's this tendency to keep looking for somebody who will meet these promises. Because uh, although Solomon built a house for God, although he uh, experienced some of the promises of these uh, uh, verses, he doesn't fulfill all of them. And in in looking at this uh, prophecy, I want to point out five things. Uh, First of all, these promises to David are based on the grace of God. 
uh, David comes to God and says, hey, I want to build you the ha- a house. And, and, and God kind of says, no, look, I, I don't need you to establish me. I don't need you uh, to take care of me. In fact, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to establish your offspring. All these things are, are, are not based on who David is, but they're based on the power and the grace of God. Secondly, he's going to raise off an offspring or a seed to establish his kingdom. Uh, note that with the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham, uh, this is using similar language to focus and expand the promises that have been given concerning what God is ultimately going to do in terms of the evil that exists in the world. We have God saying here he's going to raise up an offspring or a seed of David to establish his kingdom. We see the iniquity met with discipline, which likely refers to Solomon, but not to Christ. And then he has a house, a kingdom, a throne that will last forever. Fourth, there's a house, there's a kingdom, and a throne that will last forever. As you read through the verses, he talks about establishing David's house, establishing a kingdom, establishing his throne that will last forever. Fifthly, he is one who will not be abandoned by God's love. And one of the interesting things about this passage in 2 Samuel 7 is it it begins this promise where the people of Israel are now looking for a king to do these things. And as it begins in this passage, it is expanded later. We see it expanded uh, in the prophets and the Psalms and other places in scriptures. And I just want to give us two passages to look at, one from the prophets and one from the Psalms, that kind of look at the way these expectations of the Messiah, of the Anointed One, of the Christ, of the coming King, get kind of expanded as uh, the progress of the Bible moves forward. Jeremiah 33, 14-26 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which I will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David my servant may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and my covenant with the Levitical priests my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 
Have you not observed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose? Thus they have despised my people, so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, If I have not established my covenant with day and night, and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes, and will have mercy on them. In this prophecy by Jeremiah, we see that there is coming a righteous branch that will execute justice and righteousness. We see that Judah and Jerusalem will receive deliverance and security. We see that one is coming, a day is coming when people will say, The Lord is our righteousness. And in all these things, fourthly, we see that God will accomplish these things. He is the one who will bring about the righteous branch, who will execute justice and righteousness. He is the one who will uh, deliver Jerusalem and Judah into their security. He is the one who will make people call upon him as the Lord is our righteousness. Now, as these promises grow and, and develop, and as you have the kingly line of David continue, uh, one of the problems we see is that there appears, because of the continuing sins and failures of David's descendants, to be a rejection of the kingly line. Yet in the passage we just read, it says God cannot break his covenant with David. Uh, Psalm 89 really uh, fleshes out this tension. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4, as well as 19 through 52. It says this, and listen for this tension of believing the promises of God, but seeing the line of David apparently abandoned, apparently forsaken, apparently rejected. Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made my covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever. I will build your throne for all generations. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from my people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. So that my hand shall be established with him, my arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, the wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him, and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You're my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest king of the highest of the kings of the earth. 
My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Selah. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have made, you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease, and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Selah. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. Lord, where is your steadfast love of all? By which, which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of many nations. With which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. In this passage, we have uh, it, we have more than five, but just five things to point out as uh, they're looking for this messianic figure, or one that he is anointed. Number two, the wicked will not defeat him. Number three, that he will call God his father. Fourthly, that he is a firstborn. Uh, in ancient context, what that would be pointing to is that he is the heir. That when uh, the end of uh, when thing it comes time to settle the estate, he is the one who gets the inheritance. He's the firstborn and therefore the heir. Five, he is going to be enduring forever. Following that, uh, you, you have the growing tension of the certainty of God's promises and the failure of the Davidic line. At the end, uh, even the, the psalmist comes, calls out and wonders how long God is going to hide himself when he is going to look back on uh, the Davidic line with pleasure and not with displeasure. 
He then says an interesting line, who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? He's pointing to somebody who's coming, who's going to have the power over death. Uh, All these things are are promises pointed to the Messiah, promises to the one who is called the Son of David because that's who uh, these promises refer to beginning in 2 Samuel 7. One of the things as we look forward in in the New Testament is that Jesus accepts this title. Uh, There are several places where he accepts this title. He accepts this this title from a blind man named Bartimaeus in Mark 10, 46-48, who cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. We also see it in, in Jesus at his triumphal entry into Jerusalem from the crowds in Matthew 21, 9. Also from the children at the temple in Matthew 21, 15. They cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. We, we see then that this title, Son of David, is a reference to Jesus Christ who accepts that title from these people. It's also kind of implicitly present in Acts 1, 6. When the disciples ask Jesus if he's about to restore the kingdom to Israel, the reason why they're asking this is because they believe he is the messianic king, the son of David. One of the clearest places this shows up in the New Testament, that Jesus is David's greater son, that he is the Messiah, that he's the one who's coming, uh, whose throne endures forever, who will not see decay, who will be a righteous branch executing justice and righteousness, who's going to build a house for God, comes through in a passage where Jesus faces a lot of questions at first. It's in Matthew 22, and in the big, earlier parts of Matthew 22, what you see is the Pharisees and Sadducees are, are trying to stump Jesus. And um, kind of in ancient debates, the way they would work is, if you were able to stump your opponent, you would win the debate, you would win the argument. And really the goal is trying to somebody, make somebody look foolish in a shame and honor-based society. Uh, so the Pharisees and Sadducees are, are starting to get upset with Jesus' teaching. Uh, they're beginning to recognize that some of his parables and stories are directed at them and their self-righteousness. Uh, so you have this, uh, a section in Matthew 22 where they come and they ask about uh, paying taxes to Caesar, the resurrection, uh, what's the greatest commandment in the law. And, and the, the point of these is they're testing Jesus, they're trying to make him look foolish, they're trying to stump him in the midst of these things. And one of the things we see to, with Jesus he, is he addresses all their questions and the heart attitude that's behind the questions. But in Matthew 22:41 through 46, Jesus turns the table on them. It says, okay, and it's kind of after they've asked all, him all the questions, then he turns around and, and says, all right, now I've got a question for you. It says in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 41 and going through verse 46, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? 
they said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. In this passage, we see Jesus turning the tables on the Pharisees and asking them a question that ends up stumbling them and shaming them. And it comes in terms of the nature of the Messiah, the nature of the Christ. They say he's supposed to be the son of the David, but a sons in ancient thinking were not greater to the father. And so he says, how can David call him Lord if he's his son? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David then is pointing to the fact that the Messiah, the one who comes after him, is going to be greater than him is going to be called a a Lord. In fact, David addresses him as Lord. We also see that his enemies are all going to be put under his feet. We see see the promises to David to raise up his offspring find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And as we said with the prophetic telescoping in relation to Solomon and Christ, we also see some prophetic telescoping in the first and second coming of Christ. In the first coming of Christ, he comes as a king. He gives his kingdom law and passes it down. We see him establish a house, that is the church, for God. We see him defeat sin and death. We see him rise again, ascend on high, where he is enthroned at the right hand of God. And we see that he has started a kingdom that will last forever. But these promises aren't yet fully realized. There are still enemies of Christ that exist. Sin and death, although they have been conquered, have not yet been been fully defeated. So although the Messiah has come the first time to offer salvation to all, his ultimate conquering return is yet to come. In all these things we see that Jesus is the one who fulfills the promises to David and the ways in which the Psalms and the prophets expand upon who the Messiah is. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of David, the Christ, the King of Kings.